0: Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Oh, come on, just give Him praise. Would you do that tonight? Come on, lift it up, lift it up straight to Jesus. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, God. Why don't you just put it over the top straight to heaven There's nothing like you. There's nobody like you. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. You may be seated. How I thank you. You know what you just saw? That's just what happens in the presence of Jesus. Just living proof that he is still alive and here and among us. And he's here tonight just the same way. What a day to be alive. What a day to be just right in the middle of something that God is doing in the earth for you right here at Radiant Church. What an honor. This is the first time I've ever been here, so I'm so thrilled. Looked forward to this. And uh, Pastor Aaron, thank you. Thank you. Where did you go? Sir, there, I found you. Thank you for for the invitation to come. And uh, I'm blown away, just blown away. By what God is doing. And uh, it's just, it's just so big in the small stage. And uh, I tell you, I don't know that you're building big enough. I just, I'm thinking you're going to have to dream a lot bigger. I just want to declare double to your vision. Just double in the name of Jesus. Lord, double the number. Double it, Father. Even double the auditorium that they were planning. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let this be the year of double increase for radiant. Lord, accelerate it. In the name of Jesus, we release your acceleration, Father, for the sake of the kingdom in Jesus' name. You agree with that? God's up to something incredible around here. I am thrilled. You know how you just know it when you're in the presence of somebody significant? I just feel that when I was with you upstairs a few moments ago. It's just uh, God has got his hand on your life in such an unusual way. And he's going to accelerate this work for the sake of the kingdom of God in the earth and for the sake of what he's doing in the earth. And then God is raising up people like uh, Jacob and Lexi. My heart. My heart. You better love me for sharing them with you. So... No, I know. (laughs) You're welcome. You know, I I know at the ramp, God has called us for uh, a particular mission. It is awakening young people, equipping them in the word, and sending them. And I love the awakening, and I love the equipping, and I hate the sending. I want it to be awaken, equip, stay. (laughs) Awaken, equip, stay till Jesus comes. I don't get that choice, and he brings them in, and he... He awakens them and I've got to see their journey. I've I've watched these two as when they were young and Jacob was just really had encountered God. And so I've gotten to watch his journey as as the Lord has led him into this incredible minister and lexi too. And and they're going to impact the world. And they're going to touch many, many, many lives and nations. And and I'm not just saying that. It's not a cliche. It's true, and I'm so proud of them. Thank you for loving them and receiving their ministry. I mean that. So grateful. Well, I don't want to take much time. I'm time aware tonight and conscious. But I do have a word on my spirit that I believe the Lord had me fly to Tampa, Florida to deliver. And uh, I believe there's somebody here tonight that it is very specifically for you know how you can just you can just tell it if if you're if you've been in the ministry and many of you are you just know some particular nights there's something quivering on a particular word and so you know that God has brought someone here to hear it. In fact, I'm just going to get right down to business. I don't have time to just chit chat. Um, I have a word that is really for three groups of people. The last one I feel the most. Uh, something, uh, I'm going to have to spend most, I'm going to have to be careful of my time because I've really got something for somebody on that last group. But I want to touch these other two because you're significant. In fact, when I see what God is doing here at Radiant Church, I hear about these campuses being launched all over the nation. You realize we are in the beginning of the rumblings of awakening. Listen, we've prayed for this for years. It is here. It's upon us. And we need to recognize it when it's here. I mean, we've, we, we, we're, we are entering into a particular season. It's such a glorious answer to prayer at the ramp. We have prayed for this for 20 years. And you matter in this season. You, you matter. Your purpose and your anointing is for here and it's for now. Not just someday, whenever. God needs all hands on deck, everybody right now stirred up. And the enemy knows that you are the one, listen, this harvest is great. Tampa, this whole region, listen, your harvest is white and ready, and you are the laborers for it. And the enemy would, would, would be pleased with nothing more than to destroy your purpose, distract you from what matters, discourage you so much that he immobilizes you so tonight, if thought the Lord sent me to encourage these three groups of people. And so getting right down to business, I want to talk to those that are in three different, let's just call them seasons, because the seasons of God fascinate me. His timing, and his, he's all into seasons. I mean, right down to the point that even the earth itself is set on the rotation of seasons. Yeah. And I can tell you this about seasons. Surely as they come, they will change. So even tonight, as I'm sharing about these three particular seasons, quickly, quickly, if if I'm talking about one that you are not currently experiencing, listen anyway, because the probability is high that you will eventually be there. I can tell you, you will be there. So you just need to listen anyway. So the truth is, every single one of you would probably be found in at least one of these particular seasons. The first one being that wonderful season, it's my favorite, of Kairos. We love Kairos. You know what Kairos is. You know, there's Chronos, which is just the natural time, and then there's Kairos. When you hit Kairos, that's that wonderful Greek word that just represents God's time. It's like you just hit that moment of Kairos. It's like the season, it's the day, it's the moment of fulfilled promise. Oh, it's, it's glorious Kairos is that time when it's like you hit that moment when the heavens open, prayers are being answered, things are swirling and shifting and happening, and words are coming from heaven from all over the place. In fact, the most accurate description I've ever seen of Kairos is found in Amos 9, verses 13 through 15. This is from the message translation. And this is where some of you are tonight. And the good news is, it's where many of you are about to be. I want to read this especially for the beginning of 2020. Let me decree this over Radiant Church, and let me decree this over your life, every single one of you, in Jesus' name, but especially for those of you in it. Amos 9, 13 through 15, yes, indeed, it won't be long now, God's decree. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the hills of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and the hills. And I will make everything right again for my people Israel. Come on, does anybody need some stuff made right again this year? Anybody need some family stuff made right again? Anybody need a marriage made right? Anybody need some kids made right again? You know what? If that's your word and you need it, just reach up and take it. I'm going to take it right now. I need some stuff made right again. In Jesus' name, all three of us. I don't know who else, but I need some stuff made right. I'm going to take that word out of the spirit realm and say, it's mine. They'll rebuild their ruined cities. Yes, thank you. They'll plant vineyards and drink. They'll work their gardens and eat fresh vegetables. I'll plant them on their own land, and they will never be uprooted from the land that I have given them. God, your God, says so. Hallelujah! That's glorious. The interesting thing is about Kairos, when you hit Kairos, it's sort of like you never know when it's going to hit. You will spend a season praying and praying and believing and believing and waiting and straining to see and looking for the miracle. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, boom, you hit Kairos. And it's also interesting because God has a track record of this kind of behavior. The children of Israel had prayed 400 years. When all of a sudden they hit God's time clock and they hit Kairos and out of nowhere after 400 years of prayer, boom, all of a sudden, God steps down and says to Moses, go tell them I've heard their prayers and I'm stepping down to deliver them. All of a sudden, frogs are jumping and locusts are swarming and the seas are parting. and God has come on the scene. And all of Egypt knew there was a God in Israel. When the Messiah came, it was the same thing. They had prayed 4,000 years for a Messiah. When it hit God's time clock, boom, all of a sudden, angels are singing in the heavens. Things are swirling around in a little manger in Bethlehem. Because that's what happened when Kairos hits. And there are some of you here tonight, and you've just hit Kairos. And it's a good thing. Doors are opening for you right now. You've just watched promises being fulfilled in your life. And for those of you that are in Kairos tonight, I want to share a couple of things with you very quickly that I have learned about Kairos. Because, listen, each season is important and how you handle that season matters. The children of Israel, after they hit Kairos, after 400 years, when they finally hit Kairos, they didn't handle it correctly. They murmured and they doubted and got 40 more years added to the 400, God forbid. Say, I don't want that. Oh. But one thing that you will find about Kairos, and I have learned this, and it's fascinating to me. For those of you in Kairos, catch this. Kairos brings clarity. Yes. Kairos will bring clarity about the past season that you were just in. Yes, it does. And you will understand the things that you've been going through That's brought you to where you finally are. A few years ago, I will reference this a couple of times tonight. My daughter, I have two daughters that served with me in the ministry at the Ramp. Both of them married young men from that area who also served in the ministry at the Ramp. And a very long story, very, very, very short. Uh, My youngest daughter, Lindsay, who was over all the performing arts department at the Ramp for Chosen and all the dance and all the production things. uh, She was also married to the pastor of Ramp Church and the director of the Ramp School of Ministry. My daughter was just targeted by the enemy. I don't know any other way to put it. She was raised in the ministry. She knew nothing but the presence of God all of her life. And in 2014, after several years of things happening, I wasn't understanding things that were happening inside of her that was changing her. But by the time I realized what was really happening to my daughter, it was too late. And in March of 14, she came in and informed us that she was filing for divorce from Casey with no scriptural grounds of any kind whatsoever, leaving her family. She has two beautiful little girls, Katie and Annalise, my little granddaughters. She was leaving her family. She was leaving the ministry. She moved to a different town and just became a different person. It launched me into a season of intercession that changed my life. And I'll touch on those things just a little bit tonight, but... During that season for my daughter, I remember I was in December of 15, the, the toughest year of all. I mean, the toughest month of all was December of 2015. I did not know that I was one month from hitting Kairos. By that time, it had been several years of intercession. I was exhausted in prayer, but still believing. And I did not, I had no idea, because you don't know when you're about to hit Kairos. But I had a dream, and it was an interesting dream. In the dream, I dreamed that I was at a, this mountain, and I was climbing this mountain. And in the dream, it was just everything I could do to climb this mountain, all of my strength, until finally the mountain itself turned into a vertical wall of rock. And in the dream, I was I was just flat. I was just laying like this, and I would I would. P- pull myself up, and all the strength that I had in my body, soul, and spirit, it took everything I had to go one inch. And I'd go an inch, and then I'd reach my hands up, and I would pull with everything I had to go one more inch. And all of a sudden, shockingly, I reached up my hands like this, and my fingers touched the top of the mountain. And in the dream, I could not believe I was on the, I I had I was touching the top of this mountain, and I I pulled myself up in the dream. And when I got to the top of the mountain, I was walking around thinking, I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm up here. I cannot believe I'm standing. And then I looked down, and the mountain had turned crystal clear, and I could see all the way from the top to the bottom because Kairos will bring clarity. With the children of Israel, when they hit Kairos, it was fascinating. And let me find it. In Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, God begins to explain to them after they've come out of Egypt what had been going on and after they had come out of the wilderness. Listen to how God explains to them after they hit Kairos. He says, I'm going to scan through this quickly. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's going to bring clarity. Watch. I'm going to start with verse 2. He says, He says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years. Humbling you, testing you, proving your character, and finding out whether or not you will obey my commands. He said, I let you go hungry, and then I fed you with manna. He said, I did this to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So after they've hit Kairos, God says, I'm going to help you understand what these 40 years have been about. I had to test you, prove you, see whether you were going to obey me. I had to let you go hungry and then feed you so that you finally get it. Before you can enter your promise, you're going to have to learn how to live utterly dependent upon me. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word out of my mouth. The truth is, for those of you in Kairos, you're going to understand in the past season what it's really ultimately been about. And probably when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to find out what the whole thing was probably ultimately about, was teaching us to live utterly dependent upon God. And the, the, here's, here's the challenging thing. Here's the challenging thing. I got to go to another verse I just thought of. The challenging thing is, is, unfortunately, that lesson is usually taught in the fires of trial. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians, I've always been fascinated by this little verse. It was something Paul said. Hang on, let me get my glasses. Something Paul said in, the second, in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Watch this. Watch this. Paul is really now on the other side. He's kind of in a kairos finally, and he's writing back about it. He says, we think you ought to know, brothers, and sisters at Radiant Church in 2020, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely upon God. Come on. Oh, Paul said we were going through such a tough place in Asia, and some of you church planters need to mark this verse really well. Come on, some of you in this room that's here tonight about to plant, you need to underline this verse and get it well in your spirit. He says, I think you need to know about some of this stuff. We didn't even think we were going to live through it. But what we learned on the other side when we finally came into Kairos was that we had stopped relying on ourselves and learned to live utterly. Okay, I can't, I can't. I'm already beyond. Okay, I can't stay here, Karen, don't. But let me tell you one more thing about it. Ah. Another thing really quick about Kairos, you've got to learn. You've got to remember, Kairos will bring you clarity, but you've got to remember. The second thing is to remember him. He says, when you hit Kairos in the eighth chapter, again, of Deuteronomy, he says, now listen, he says, says, whenever I'm going to skip down, he says, Lord, you're going to walk in this way for this, Lord, I'm bringing you to a good land. It's a land of wheat and barley. He said in verse 9, it's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. Radiant church, watch. He says, and when you've eaten your field, be sure you praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Verse 11, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. He says, for when you become full and prosperous, and you built fine homes to live in, and your flocks and your herds have become large, and your silver and gold is multiplied, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who delivered you from the land of Egypt. Don't forget that it was I that led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. He said, I was the one that gave you the water from the rock, and I fed you with manna. He says, I did this to humble you and test you so that you would never say to yourself, I achieved this wealth with my own strength. In other words, the Lord says to those of you in Kairos, when you're in Kairos, remember me. Don't ever think that you can do this without me. When things start going good, don't think you can finish in the flesh what was started in the spirit. The last word to those of you in Kairos tonight is this. The last thing to Kairos, the group, is increase prayer. When you hit Kairos, it's not time to pray less. When Daniel hit Kairos in Daniel chapter 9, when he hit that moment of the fulfillment of the 70 years, the Bible says he set himself to prayer and fasting. Prayer is acknowledging I need you. Prayer is, that's what prayer is. It's saying, I can't do this without you. And, it's, and, and when you're praying in Kairos, it's you saying, God, I know where I've come from to get me to this moment. And more than ever, I'm lifting up my eyes to the hills from which comes my help. You are my help, Lord. You, God. P- prayer is acknowledging that we need him, but it's also the awareness that he won't do this without us. We can't do it without him. He won't do it without us. That's why you've got to pray like you believe what John Wesley said is true. What John Wesley said changed my life. God does nothing in the earth except in response to prayer. Take that home and think about it for years as I have. When you pray, you begin to co-labor with God and become the conduit of faith to get his will from heaven to the earth. So for those of you in Kairos, Kairos will bring clarity. Teaches you utter dependence upon God. Pray more. Second group. I'm not going to stay long with y'all. I wish I could, but I can't. Second group. I've got to talk to those really quick. Those of you that are in the wait. There's some of you, you haven't hit Kairos. You're just in that place of waiting and praying and believing God for your miracle. Oh, it's so important where you are. How the enemy will try to discourage you in this time. Those of you that are still waiting, even when your wait turns to years, I've been there. I love something Bob Sorge says. He's my favorite author. Bob Sorge says this. He says, what does it mean when God hasn't answered your prayer yet? It means God hasn't answered your prayer yet. Come on. Quickly. This verse, let me let me just read this to you half fast. Habakkuk 2.2, 2, write the vision and make it plain so that a runner can carry the right message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. That picture you see in your spirit. That promise that you've seen that you're clinging to. I love that. That vision that's inside of you of a a marriage that's whole, of prodigals restored, of healing in your body, of financial provision. That picture, that hope, that picture of your hope. He's saying here, it describes the end, a future time, and it will be fulfilled. And then I love, now listen, he says, but if it seems slow in coming, you think? Wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. That's so funny. It's such a paradox. If it seems slow in coming, it will not be delayed. If it seems slow in coming, it will not be. What are you saying, God? I'll tell you what He's saying. When it's slow in coming, He's telling you, honey, when it comes, boom, it's going to come suddenly. It will not be delayed. You're going to hit Kyra someday. It's going to knock you. Come on. It's going to happen so fast, your head will swim. Oh, you got to believe that. It's coming. And it's coming suddenly. I know the wait is hard, but he said wait patiently. i got to tell you one thing quick that I've learned in the, for, for people in the wait, and I've learned it from experience. When you are in the wait, It's because there is something happening inside of you that is more important than the manifestation of your miracle. It does not mean you're not going to receive it. It means God is doing something in you. Not only is it going to transform you and transform others, He's going to receive greater glory. God is very capable of answering your prayer immediately. You know that. God. You can pray and boom, he answer your prayer. It's my favorite. And he does that sometimes. It's just not his favorite. I think I have learned God's favorite way of working. I have found this with me. You know how he works? Slow and suddenly. That's how he works. But I was thinking about this and I, and, and, and I observed it for myself. And I, and I realized even one day I was thinking... You know, had Abraham received Isaac just nine months after the promise came? Oh, that would have been awesome, wouldn't it? God says, You're going to have a boy. Nine months later, boom, Isaac. Oh, that would have been great. And he would have been a natural father, but never a spiritual father. It was that 25 year wait. That made Abraham more than a natural father. It made him a father of faith. That we're still talking about him tonight. You know the story for yourself. You know that if Joseph had received his prayers answered the first night he prayed in that all night prayer meeting in the pit. Don't you know that boy prayed all night when he was thrown in that pit? Had God said, you know what, you're right, Joseph, get somebody down here. Get this boy out of this pit and send him home. Had he done that, Joseph would have come out. He would have been happy. He would have taken his coat of many colors and gone back to his dad. And he would have had the favor of his natural father and his coat of many colors. But he would have never had the favor of Pharaoh or the authority to rule a nation. Come on. It was in that 10-year struggle of the wait that God was forming something in Joseph. He was going to answer the boy's prayer. Had God answered my prayer when my daughter first left? how I wanted it. You don't even know the struggle. No words. I would have been so relieved, and I believed for it every day. But after it turned to years, now I look back after Kairos, after I saw the greatest miracle I ever witnessed in my life in her return. But had God answered Karen when I wanted before the wait, I'd have never had the feather story, the come back to God story, the 111 story, the even now story. Come on, I wouldn't be standing up here tonight preaching this particular message to you. Come on, that's what happens. You know what? Real quick, let me tell you this fast, and I'm going to get to the end of this word. Let me tell you this fast. When Lindsay was gone, I know. I know. When Lindsay was gone, I would pray for her. Really, it, that's pretty much it, my world turned into prayer. And I remember so many places of prayer, but in particular, my old mill house that I still love to pray in. I'd walk that, mil, that mill house in prayer every day, every day, every day, every day, unrelenting. I was not stopping praying for my daughter's return. And I remember one day as I was praying for Lindsay, in the spirit, I'm telling y'all this is the truth. I looked up and I saw a vision as real, and not more than you're looking at me. And I saw a rectangle building, all concrete, no windows. It was long, and, and I was, it, was in, it was in a desert. There wasn't anything in sight as far as I could see. The whole room had turned. Literally, I was standing in the middle of a desert as far as any direction. All I could see that was there was this long building, concrete, and Lindsay was in it. I knew it was a concentration camp of sorts in the spirit. Oddly enough, I could see. And so I could see inside, and she was being held like a prisoner in a cell. She was sitting in a chair, and all around her mind were these demonic spirits tormenting her mind in deception. And I could see into this prison, into this place of torment for my daughter. And standing on the outside of this prison, on the right side of the door, was this huge demonic spirit. He kind of looked like one of the orcs or something from Lord of the Rings, you know? And, but, it, but even more ugly. And he was sitting there every day whenever I would see this thing. And this is exactly what I did because I knew that this is how Jesus dealt with Satan. He only used the word. So I knew if he did that, service like greater than his master, that's what I'm going to do too. I used the promise, the word God gave me for my daughter. I would physically do exactly what I'm showing you. Whenever I would go into that vision when I was in prayer, I would look at that thing and I would physically walk toward it, just like this. And I would stop several feet from it and I would look at that demonic spirit and I would go, thus saith the Lord, the captive of the warrior will be released. The plunder of the tyrant will be retrieved. For I will fight those that fight you and I will save your children. Isaiah 49, 24, and 25. I'd go back to prayer. Every day, every day, every day I would do that. And every time I saw that in that vision, every time I would see that concentration camp, I would do that exact thing. How many times? I can't even imagine to tell you. One day, to my amazement, had never crossed my mind that I would encounter this. I was praying, and I go into this vision, and I see that building, and I was preparing to walk toward it to decree my word, when all of a sudden, in the vision— The door opened. And when the door opened, out came Lindsay. I was so stunned. I sat there just staring, and I'm just looking at her. And when she came out, she didn't even see me. She was just simply walking. And when Lindsay came out, she was just staring straight ahead like this. And she was just walking. And I'm standing over here, and she didn't see me. She's just walking out, just walking out like this. And I'm standing over there going, Oh, dear God, oh, dear God, that is Lindsay God. And I'm looking at her, and here she's just walking. What I never dreamed in my mind, all of a sudden from behind her comes a throng of young men and women following her. All of a sudden, (laughs) Here comes a young man, and he's following, and then there's a young woman, and one of the girls was dancing when she was coming out. One of the young men was playing like an invisible set of drums. There was another young man like he was playing an invisible guitar. I'm telling you, it was a multitude of young people. I never saw the end of them, and that's when I began to understand why the battle I was in was so fierce. I wasn't just fighting for my daughter. I was fighting for your son. I was fighting for your daughter. Oh, I'm telling you tonight, if you're believing for a prodigal, I believe they're coming out. I believe that's why you're here. I believe that's why God sent me. I believe it's a day of revival for your family. Will you believe that tonight? Come Oh, no, no, my. That's why you've got to know something. That's why this thing is so, that's why the battle is so fierce that you're fighting tonight. This thing is bigger than you are. This battle is bigger than you are. Come on, this victory is more than just about you getting what you're asking for. God's going to give you what you're asking for. But it's not just about your answer. It's about the answer of all the young men and women, all the people. Be transformed by your testimony of deliverance. Will you believe that? It's about the great glory God's gonna receive. Oh my, my, my. Oh my Jesus. Oh Shabai. I've got to, I've got to move on. Oh Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong tonight. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. Telling you somebody tonight, your day of Kairos is coming. Third group and last group tonight. I don't even know what to exactly title you. I was thinking about this afternoon. What is? What should I call them? I don't know. I know that you're the ones that's sitting here tonight. And I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. That's saying, all that's good for you, I tried that, and it didn't work for me the way it worked for you, and while I appreciate the concept of what you're saying, I just don't think that that is for me right now. In some ways, and in some areas of your life, not on the Lord, but in some areas in your life, you've given up. But Jesus, even today on this airplane flying here, Jesus told me tonight to come and whisper in your ear, you can't give up. And he told me to remind you of Luke 18.1, where he was teaching his disciples how to pray. Go home and read it for yourself. I don't have time for time's sake. Luke 18.1, don't tempt me, please. <laughs> Luke 18.1, Jesus opens it just by saying. <laughs> he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm reading it. Quote, and never give up. That's red. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you. He says, and he goes into this story. There was, a, there was a judge in a certain city who didn't fear God or care about people. But there was a widow in that city that came to him repeatedly. Say, repeatedly, repeatedly. Saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. This is how Jesus said to pray, people. This woman's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then he said, so learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. Then Jesus said, so don't you think God? will surely give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. I tell you, he will give them justice, and he will give it to them speedily. Oh, Jesus said, he said, don't you think if this, this guy would give him, don't you think God would give justice to his Who cry out to him. He said, I'll tell you, he will give them justice, and he'll give it to them speedily. In other words, when he comes, it's going to be boom, he's here. You can't give up. Then how long do I pray about this? Until. Sometimes people give up and don't know they've given up. They just develop a theology that makes them feel justified in quitting. And I know that may sound harsh, especially when you're sitting there and hurting. Especially when you're sitting there with all the questions. And I can tell you this. You know why you give up? Because hope hurts. For the Shunammite woman, when you believe something for so long... Just like that little woman, I don't have time to read her story, but you know her story. She was a little woman who took care of the prophet Elijah when he came through town. She cooked for him. She even told her husband, let's, let's build him a little room up on the roof, up there on the top of the house. Let's so when he comes through, he can stay with us. Put a little bed in it, and a nightstand, a lamp. That's what the Bible says. She was a wealthy woman, and she loved God. You know how I know she loved God? Because she told her husband, I perceive Elijah as a holy man. She didn't do that stuff for him because he was a normal man. She did it because he was a holy man. She loved God. And Elijah wanted to bless her. And so Elijah told his servant, he said, hey, go go, go get that Shunammite woman. She's been so nice to us. I want us to do something for her. So they brought her to the door, and the Bible says she stood in the door. And Elijah said to her, what can we do for you to thank you for your hospitality? Notice her answer. I don't need anything. And she walks off. And Gehazi, Elijah's servant, comes back to Elijah and says, you know, she doesn't have a son. Elijah says, bring her back. Bring her back. She comes and stands at the door again. And he looks at her and he says, about this time next year. You'll be holding a son in your arms. Notice her answer. Oh, don't deceive me like that. Because when you've been let down by hope so many times, even a promise will sound like deception. Oh, don't deceive me. Don't, 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 don't deceive me like that. And there's some of you tonight. Been so crushed by hope over and over, you can't take the pain of hoping, so you just learn to live without the thing you've hoped for. Because it's easier to live without it than to risk the pain of another disappointment. But when you throw away your hope, oh, I don't know who this is for, but my, I feel this so strong for you. When you throw away your hope, you've thrown away your faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things you cannot see. Come on, it's me looking at Lindsay when it's just getting worse and worse by the day. It was just horrible. It was a nightmare. I could just stand. I could not. I couldn't live my days looking at this. No, 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 no. I had to stand here and look at my hope because my hope was in what the promises of God had said to me. I'm going to think about the hope. This is where my hope is. I'm not going to look here. I'm going to look at the hope. When you throw away your hope, you throw away your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Shunammite woman had been so let down by hope she wouldn't even tell Elijah she even had a desire anymore. She just said, don't, don't give me another promise. I've heard those promises so many times. I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even, just don't even deceive me. I remember, I remember, I know that even there's people in this room tonight that just feel that way, and I felt you this afternoon. I just feel like some of you are in here tonight saying, I just, I know, I, I remember that. I remember those times of believing like you're talking about. And I remember believing for my marriage, and and she's gone, and, and I remember believing for my son to come home and and um, praying, and he's in prison, and I remember Somebody's here tonight, I remember when I thought I was pregnant and believing, believing for a baby and believing, and told everybody I was pregnant and I, re- and somebody's, I, I remember when I was praying for so, my, my loved ones healing and, and believing for their healing, standing, and it didn't happen. I was believing for my financial need to be met in the miracle, but we lost the house and don't deceive me anymore. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm tired of looking like a fool. I can love God. I can worship God, serve God. I love God. I do. I love God. But I just don't want that. Not that. I'm okay to live without it. Elijah said, do you need anything? I don't need anything. I don't, I don't need anything. I'm okay. Cried my last tear over it and buried my hope. But when Elijah said the word, about this time next year. He said the word that was like water to her dormant, dry seed. When the water of the word hit that seed inside of her, though it was dead, it began to quiver again. And her faith was reawakened. And that time next year, she was holding a baby in her arms. Come on. Will you believe that tonight? This is the last story I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to leave. Yes, the keyboard player, y'all can come. Thank you. (laughs) I know, I know. I've tried to hurry. I'm almost done, I promise. When Lindsay was gone, I remember being in a place where I was struggling, especially toward the end, with faith so hard because I had believed all these promises and stood on all these words I had received. By December of 15, it looked so bad that I was in the greatest battle I'd ever known, my battle with God. And I remember just thinking, God, if these promises don't come to pass, I don't know how to believe for anything. And I remember that season thinking, I don't even want to read the story of Lazarus because, oh. It, it just I just don't even want, I didn't even read it for months because I thought if you know what, if this thing dies and my daughter's marriage dies and she does not ever come home, I don't know if I've got faith to believe for resurrection. I don't even think, I'd, I don't know that I would know how. By December, that fall of 15, I remember thinking to myself one day, well, I've got to face this, that for me, Lazarus is going to die. And I've got to find a way to get through this. And I feel like tonight, there is somebody in this room, in that place of struggle. But I found a little word in this story that changed my life. I picked up my Bible at fall of 15 and I began to read a story. You can go home tonight and read it. But I remember when I began to read the familiar passages. I'll just read two, two verses of it tonight John 11, I'll do verse 17. I remember reading it. Oh my. When I read it, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave four days. Verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. It's interesting here because, you know, Martha often gets kind of a bad rap. I mean, she was the busy one, distracted one, and all that. And Mary's, you know, the worshiper, and I love that, and I love that about Mary. But when it came to impossible and hopeless, Mary stayed in the house. But Martha had something quivering in her. I needed Martha that day. I, I needed I needed to, to read something that would tell me exactly, because I've assisted Martha and I begin to realize, where I was in that, that season of just thinking, God, Lord, if, if all these promises that I have screamed and declared and prayed and believed and told everybody and preached, if that does not come to pass, God, I don't know how to believe you. I don't even know if I've ever heard you ever on anything in my life if this does not come to pass. Then I begin to realize, don't you think Martha had some questions? Don't you think Martha had some things to ask God just like I did that day? Martha, busy Martha. Don't you know that she'd been taking care of her brother all that time? And, 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 and I mean, after all, they were close friends with Jesus. And here Lazarus is getting more sick by the day. Can you imagine the struggle she was in, what, taking care of him, changing his bedpans, cooling his brow with a, with a cool cloth and, and seeing to him, feeding him every day and, and watching him get worse. And finally she's like, listen, listen I, 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 somebody's going to have to do something here and we're going to have to have some help. And I, I know that I've, Jesus can't be far away. Listen, I need, I need you to go, Heath, listen, go and see if you can find Jesus. I don't I don't think he's far. I think he's pretty close, but I need you to go get him. This is really getting desperate here. And 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 the truth is, you know, Jesus loves Lazarus. He's been his best friend for years. And we've always tried to help him. I I keep him in the house and all when he's traveling and I cook for him and and always try to be there for him. I, I need you to tell him, I need you to tell him to really hurry. So you go now. Let me know when he gets back. Martha goes back over here and she's taking care of him, and, and taking and all of a sudden she's realizing this is has anybody seen? Anybody seen Jesus? coming, Heath. Anybody's any word at all? When he's she's taking care of him until finally she realizes if he doesn't come, we're not going to make it. Heath gets there. Did you did you, did you find him? He says, "Yeah, I found him." What did what what'd he say? Well. He was just um, just sort of um, hanging around with his disciples. <sighs> Can you imagine the turmoil in that lady thinking, you know, I don't understand. I was there. I thought I was there when he needed me and I need him. Finally, her hope ble- breathes its last breath. there stands Martha. She's walking around a tomb with all of her struggle and all of her questions about everything she's ever thought and believed. Wondering about everything. Finally, one day, she's been there for several days now. They come and tell Martha, they said, he's coming. She said, who's coming? They said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That lady didn't waste a moment. She took off after him. He's late, but he's coming. Come on. I'm going to find him. He's late, but I've heard he's on his way, and I'm getting to him right now. Come on. And this is what I found, and this is where I'm closing. Watch. The Bible says that when she saw Jesus, she said, Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But look, but, and here's the two words, even now. Even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. Two words, even now. When I saw it that day, I liked to it had come apart. Even now, even now. With Lazarus dead in a grave for four days. Even now, Jesus. Even now, even now. God will give you whatever you ask. Oh, honey. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. When Jesus heard those little two words, all of a sudden, something exploded. Because when Jesus hears faith. He moves on the scene. Oh, when Jesus heard those two words, even now, the Bible says that Jesus turned around and looked at her. And listen, he looked at her and he said, your brother will rise again. (laughs) Why did he say that? Those two words, even now. Come on, he just needed something to work with. And I love Martha because she didn't have perfect faith. Her little religious faith kicked in, and she said, well, I know he'll rise again on the last day. But Jesus didn't let that rob her. He'd already heard what he needed. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Let's go to the grave. They get to the grave, and Jesus says, roll away the stone. And sweet little Martha Kind of fumbles again with her faith. She goes straight to the natural Jesus. He's been dead four days and he's stinking now. Come on, still didn't. Because Jesus didn't say you got to have perfect faith. He just said, just give him a little bit of faith. Come on, just give him, just give him two words. You don't have to be perfect faith. Just give him, just give him a little mustard seed. Just give him a little something to work with. He said, Oh, Martha, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God if you will believe? He turns around, Lazarus! Lazarus! All of a sudden, there stands little Martha. With her even now faith in her knees shaking, can you imagine what she felt like with the silhouette of her hope walking toward her? And Martha begins screaming, "It's him! It's him! It's him! It's the one I love! It's him! It's him!" Stand up on your feet, all over this room. I'm telling you. When Lindsay, when Lindsay was gone, and I found those two words and that story that I'd never seen in my life. When I found those words, I made up my mind. Honey, I made up my mind. Okay? My daughter's marriage, my daughter's spiritual life is in this grave. I even drew it out on paper for me when I prayed. I scribbled it on a tomb even now. Even now. Come on. I made up my mind. Give me a backpack or something. I made up my mind. Everybody's done left left the funeral and gone home. And they've looked at Karen and said, you and your little promises, you and your little promises, you've been believing God for years. Oh, you and your little prayers. I made up my mind. I got my suitcase and I got my lunch and I'm going to sit right here by this tomb. I've got my eyes on the road. I don't know where he's coming. I don't Some of you tonight, Monday, with a marriage in a tomb, a prodigal son or daughter in a tomb, hope in a tomb. And if that's you tonight, I want to pray for you right where you are. Lift your hands. And then Monday, Oh Jesus. Oh, there he is right now. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, the same Jesus that met Martha. In Bethany. It's the same Jesus in this room right now. I declare for those in this room tonight the resurrection of hope, that I declare the Word of God is being poured on that dry seed, that dead seed of hope. And I declare life back inside of you again to believe for the marriage to live. Oh, I declare to the marriage, you will live and not die, and you will declare the works of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I stand at the tomb of your home, and I declare for your marriage and your family, you will live and not die, and you will declare the works of the Lord. I declare for your hope, for your ministry, for your purpose, that it will live again and it will not die. We declare life, resurrection life, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.